the 14th chapter and the 30th verse, John 14 and 30. Amen. I have three sermons this morning. And, um, I, I, amen. I, let me just say this to all the moms. I came here prepared to and ready to preach a Mother's Day sermon, but I just keep being drawn back to this. And, and so um, there is a way that we can, I think, the Holy Spirit, if He leads us, we can tie some of this together. But um, I think the most important thing we can do, regardless of the day, is what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. Amen. So you got your faith up with me uh, that the Lord's going to speak to us and we're going to receive and hear from Him. Amen. That was kind of weak. Praise God. All right. Amen. John chapter 14 and verse 30. This is Jesus speaking. He said, I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. Obviously, all the Word of God is, is precious and, and is beneficial, is important. But isn't it amazing how sometimes certain words or verses or phrases of, out of verses will just jump off the page at you? It's, 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 it's almost like it's a, it's a coal in a, in a, in a, in a fire and... And all of a sudden, air hits it and it starts to glow red and, and maybe even starts giving off some sparks. Amen. That last phrase in verse number 30, um, and he has nothing in me. Am I the only one that that touches something in, inside of me? Man, that's something in me that mm, he has nothing in me. Amen. Jesus said, the ruler of this world, he's speaking of the devil. The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. This same passage from the Amplified. I'll not talk with you much more, for the prince, evil genius, ruler of the world is coming, and he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me. There's nothing in me that belongs to him, and he has no power over me. Nothing in me that belongs to him, nothing in common with me, and he has no power over me. Why is that? Because there's no claim on me. No claim on me. Jesus didn't have anything in his heart that came from the devil. He, nothing that, that belonged to the devil that the devil could lay claim to. All right, let's continue to piece some of these verses together. Ephesians 4 and 27 were instructed, nor give place to the devil. Some translations say it a little more plainly than that. Do not give place to the devil. Whose responsibility is this? It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility. The Bible tells you and me to guard our hearts. And while I can help you with yours and you can help me with mine, ultimately the responsibility for guarding my heart is my own. And the responsibility for you to guard your heart is your own. In the scriptures, the Bible refers to people as gates, G-A-T-E-S. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And of course, the gate is a point of entry. Amen. And so when the Bible says to guard your heart, he's talking about you becoming the gatekeeper of your own heart. You becoming the gatekeeper of your own life. So when the Bible says to you and me, give no place to the devil... He's talking about something here that is our responsibility. And let me remind you, if I, I know sometimes these things are obvious, but just to make sure we all understand this, he's not talking to unsaved people here. 
He's talking to born-again men and women. He's talking to people who, who are saved. Um, for that matter, because you know, so many in the, in, in, in the beginning days of the church were spirit-filled. If not all of these folks at Ephesus, um, Ephesus was a mega church. It was a monstrously huge church. And, and many, many, many of those folks in that church, spirit-filled. So he's talking to born-again spirit-filled believers, and he's saying, hey, there's some things that you're doing, there's some doors that you're opening that it's giving place to the devil in your life. And if you allow into your life things that belong to him, there will come a day that he's going to lay claim to that. So if you give him place, he has a claim, and if he has a claim... It gives him power over you. This same verse from the Amplified, Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. So notice, now we have this word that's brought into this amplified meaning of this passage. Give no place to the devil. Make no room for him. Don't allow anything into your life that comes from him that he could lay claim to in the future. But now it says, give no opportunity to him. Give no opportunity to him. Now, remember, <clears throat> Jesus had dealt with the devil throughout his earthly ministry. In the 14th chapter of John, when he says that he's coming, it's not an exaggeration for Jesus. In other words, Jesus could have said it this way, he's coming again. This is not going to be the first time the devil had come to Jesus. This is not going to be the first time that the devil had tried to, to tempt him or entice him. One of the first times that we have recorded in the Scripture was when the devil came to Jesus through one of his closest friends, Simon Peter. When Jesus began to explain to his closest companions that he was going to give his life that his life was going to be offered as a sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. And his friend Peter rose up in the flesh and he says to him, over my dead body, that'll not happen. In other words, he, he's rebuking Jesus. He's setting Jesus straight. No way, Jesus. This is not going to happen. We, we'll never stand for anybody to, to lay a hand on you, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus said to him, uh, step aside, Peter. Is that what he said? What did he say? He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. You've set a trap for me. That's what that word offense means. It's, this, it's the lever that sets the trap. You've set a trap for me, for you are not mindful of the things of God. You are mindful of the things of men. So notice, when Jesus says the root of this world is coming, he has nothing in me. Not the first time that Satan had come to tempt Jesus, to test him. We see, of course, what's often referred to as, as you know, the temptation of Jesus when he was out in the wilderness after having fasted for 40 days. And we know the devil came then. As a matter of fact, we see and look at, compare, give no opportunity to him to what Luke 4 and 13 says in the New King James Version of the Bible. Now the devil had ended every temptation. He departed from him, Jesus, until what? An opportune time. The King James Version says he, he left Jesus for a season. So if the devil 
kept coming back to Jesus over and over again, you can pretty much rest assured He's going to keep coming back to you and me over and over again as well. Am I right about this? Amen. And what He's looking for every time He comes is an opportunity. He's looking for something that we have allowed in that He can lay claim to. Something that, that, that did not come from God. It came from the devil. We have it in our possession. And just like if a kid was to you know, get one of his friend's toys on purpose or by mistake, and then one day that kid says, hey, that's mine. You've got something that belongs to me. And they lay claim to that. Well, again, this is one of the key strategies that the enemy uses against us. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to you and me. Be sober, be vigilant. That word sober there means more than not under the influence of some controlled substance. Many, many times we get lulled to sleep. Many, many times we get lazy. Many, many, many times when he's saying be sober, he's saying be on your guard, beware, be alert, pay attention, right? Don't get lax, don't, don't get lazy. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, what I'm wanting you to see among other things this morning, let me rephrase that. What I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting you to see among other things this morning, what, he's, what He is trying to bring to our attention is that we have an adversary. Now, to be ignorant or to deny that you have an adversary is not in your best interest. Now, this is not meant to scare us. This is not meant for us to be fearful or afraid or frightened or, or intimidated. But the Bible clearly, clearly explains to us that we have an adversary. The same Bible that explains we have an adversary also clearly explains that we have an advocate. Amen. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we have two advocates. Jesus said, I'll send you another advocate. Amen. Jesus is our advocate before the throne of God in heaven this morning, and the Holy Spirit is our advocate in us, among us, with us, and upon us on the earth this morning. So we have both an advocate, two advocates, we could say plural, amen, but we also have an adversary. Now, which of these do you believe is the source of your adversity? Your adversary is the source of your adversity. He is the one who, who is trying to bring all kinds of hardship and difficulties into your life. And again, the Bible does not, uh, is not silent on this. We see it both in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament that Father wants us to know we're going to face some difficulties, we're going to face some challenges in life, but that we should be of good cheer, that He delivers us out of all of them, Amen. That Jesus has already overcome the devil for us. And we now have the opportunity to experience, enjoy, walk in, participate in his victory over the devil. But we have an adversary this morning. The devil is your adversary. 
And Jesus identified the devil who is your adversary as the ruler of this world and that he only comes, the devil only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What again I believe the Holy Spirit is also wanting us to see this morning is that our adversary, the devil, is looking for any opportunity you give him in your life. He is looking for any opportunity you give him. This includes, when we say opportunity you give him, place you give him in your life, this includes in your life personally, but also in your home, in your finances, in your marriage, in your mind, in your family. Are you understand what I'm saying here? In other words, there's all different kinds and types of opportunities that we give the devil by giving him place. Let's, I, I want you to, man, please bring your hearts to attention this morning. I, I know it's Mother's Day and probably if you're like us, you've got other things going on today. But think about this for a moment. How much power would the devil have on earth if everybody ignored him? If everybody just ignored him, I mean, just gave him the hand. Just talk to the hand, right? I mean, just, just ignored him completely. How much, what would he be able to pull off? What would he be able to, to affect? What, what would he, how much ground would he... Zero! I tell you early and often, he cannot mess up your life unless you cooperate with him. He has no power over your life unless he has claim. And he has no claim unless he has place. If we give him no place, he has no claim. If he has no claim, he has no power. How much power would he have if, we, if no human being ever accepted or considered one of his lies, one of his thoughts? What if no one ever repeated anything he said? You talk about frustration now. See, he's frustrated you so much, it's time to frustrate him. Just ignore him. Just ignore him. Quit thinking things that come from him. Quit having thoughts in your mind that didn't originate in the heart of God. And by all means, quit saying, quit repeating what he says. What if, what if no one on planet earth gave in to his enticements? See, if you look at it this way, you, you, I think you really begin to get an accurate picture of what's going on here. He wants us, the devil wants us to think that, you know, he is a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. He is as a roaring lion. If you do some study on that, you find out that as, as the lions get older and slower and weaker, that they start trying to compensate for that by roaring louder. They're trying to intimidate because they don't, they not, they're not who they used to be. Let me tell you something. Lucifer is not who he used to be. 
He never was co-equal to God. He never was, and, and so therefore he is not this morning opposite, equal to God. He was an archangel who fell from the place that he was created to occupy. He is an archangel wannabe, as Lee Jones refers to him, and I always give Lee credit for that because I like that, amen. That Lucifer, Satan, is an archangel wannabe. He is not equal to God. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. And he is not everywhere present. He wants you to think that he is, but he is not. And he cannot do anything that we do not give him place to do. The devil only has power over you if you give him place in your life. All right, turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I'll tell you what, before, before we do that, let me, let me try to... Thank you, Jesus. Let me, I'm on, you stay in James 4. We'll come right back there. But I'm going to put 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7 on the screen. I'm not sure we're going to have time to get to this. And, and this is kind of a, a Mother's Day tie-in if we, if we can. Amen. And it says this, husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7. You stay in James 4. We'll be there shortly. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Don't be offended, ladies. Just hang in there with me for a minute. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I'm asking you to get settled in with me on the subject at hand because we're going to spend a minute or two here together as a family of faith. There are lots of different ways that we need to be aware of that the devil tries to gain access to our lives. And one of his number one targets is to try and gain access, some kind of inroad, some kind of open door into our families, into our marriages, into the raising of our children. Amen. Look at this same passage. I'll put it on the screen. This is from the Wiest translation. Husbands, in like manner, let your home life with them be governed by the dictates of knowledge, they being the weaker instrument, the feminine, holding in reserve for them particularly honor as to those who are also fellow inheritors with you of the grace of life. And this, notice this last phrase, in order that no satanic inroads be made into your prayers. And what is he talking about here? The weaker vessel. 
or the weaker instrument. And the instructions to us men, us husbands, us fathers, is that we should dwell with our lives according to the dictates of knowledge, according to the dictates or, or, or according to understanding. We could even say the, uh, an understanding that's, that there's the difference between knowledge and wisdom is, is wisdom is actually knowledge applied. So the clear implication here is if we're dwelling with them according to knowledge, he's talking about the wisdom of God. But it's interesting because I just want to show you again how the enemy will look for any crack in the door that he can find to try and get an inroad, to try to gain access, to try to weasel his way in and find a place in something that he really should have no place in. The differences between a man and a woman are far more than physiological. We tend to view the world, in other words, we, we tend to think that everybody sees things and thinks about things the way we see them and think about them. Men, you'll never understand women if you think they think like you do. Because clearly they do not. And that is by design. Men, we tend to be very simple. Women are the complexity to our simplicity. And it is by design. Or else we would become bored very quickly. When God created the first human being, the Bible says male and female created he them, except for at this point there's only one being, Adam. There was none found comparable to Adam, the Bible says, and, and so then God did what? A deep sleep fell upon Adam, and all of the feminine characteristics that once existed in him were separated from him into a separate being called woman, man with a womb, woman. And then God brought them back together, the two becoming one, what was originally one entity to begin with. This makes some folks nervous, but I don't, I don't want to make you nervous. We, God is our Father, absolutely, but He's also our Creator Father. And the same God who created everything that's masculine also created the same everything that's feminine. In other words, we often think of the, the masculine characteristics within a man as coming from God, but... Who knows where those feminine characteristics came from? But let me remind you that God, our Father, also refers to Himself as El Shaddai, the all-breasted one. Our Creator Father is the perfect balance between provider and nurturer. And when He created mankind in His image and likeness, He, in, he invested within us those same qualities, those same characteristics. Image and likeness doesn't just mean that God created us to look like He looks, but it also means that He created us to function the way He functions. What I believe, both based upon Scripture as well as 52 years of life experience, is that when God separated the parts from Adam, that, the parts that were male from the parts that were female, 
both of those sets of attributes, both of those sets of characteristics came from one source, God. Now I'm trying to explain to you weaker vessel or weaker instrument. When God created a man, He hardwired us men to be providers. He hardwired us to, to go and kill something and drag it home and roast it over a fire and feed our families. So because of that, our minds work a certain and a specific way. But when God created women, He created them and hardwired them primarily to be nurturers. To nurture. That doesn't mean a man can't nurture and it doesn't mean a woman can't provide. But I'm talking about our default settings. Are you hearing me this morning? Now, because men are, are primarily hardwired to provide and women are primarily hardwired to nurture, this means that men tend to think more logically with their brains while women tend to think more logically with their hearts. If you're a single parent in the room this morning, you're one of my heroes in life. I do not mean this to be offensive, but we see that God designed provider and nurturer to come together to raise children. Too, too much nurturing is, is, is not good, but the heavy hand of a provider, too much of that is not good. It's the perfect balance. Are you seeing this? Now, because God created women this way, they are the weaker instrument. Meaning they are more easily wounded. They don't, they don't have that, that, that exterior sometimes men that we have around, around our... In other words because they think first and foremost with their hearts, it's very easy for them to become uh, hurt, wounded, and offended. God created them this way, them this way because again, and it's, it's amazing, I, I actually did some research over the weekend reading some things about this. I'm not going to try to go into all that, at least not now, but it's, it's fascinating when you look at the roles. People who don't believe anything about God, you know, psychologists, sociologists, researchers who research the roles of the masculine roles and the feminine roles in, in our world, in our society, in the home and family and culture, what have you. And, and they, there's just there's certain distinctions about that that, that seemingly cannot be changed. And, and they don't understand, researchers don't understand it. And when are, when are, when are these Neanderthal men going to evolve, right? Is kind of their whole take on it. It's how God created us. It's how God designed us. Are you hearing me this morning? You, you can say, oh, I don't agree about it. Well, it's just the bottom line of it is how God created us. I'm not trying to be stereotypical or cookie cutter this morning, but again, it's just the reality. But God didn't play some cruel joke on us. He did it, right, by design. Because in the same way that we need Him, we need one another. We need the two perspectives. Now, men, He says to us that we need to understand the ladies in our lives. Certainly our wives. But we need to understand this in respect to all women. We, we need to recognize this in our mothers. We need to understand. Notice he, that he said the weaker instrument. I watched Pam give birth to two children. She's not weaker than me. Now she might can lift as much weight as I can lift. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
But I could, there are things that she could do that I would never have the strength or ability to do. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the more precious instrument. I use this example in a class I taught last week at the foundry, right? We have glasses in our cabinet that you will never find in the cup holder of my riding lawnmower. You'll never find them there. But where will you find them? You'll find them on the top shelf. You'll find them on the table at special occasions, Christmas, what have you. Amen. Because they are the weaker vessel. They're not that plastic Alabama cup that you will find in the cup holder of my riding lawnmower. Are you understand what I'm saying? Men, we're like those plastic cups. And the ladies in our lives, they're like those stemware, those real thin glass, beautiful. And we don't, we don't treat the two the same. And if we make the mistake of thinking they're the same, notice what is it going to do? It's going to cause conflict. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to strife. It's going to cause hurts and, and wounds. Let me, I, praise God. Let's just go ahead and, and, and nail it down right now. You're never going to look at money the same way. Men and women will never look at money the same way. Now, you can either let that work for you or you can let that work against you. But the sooner you come to the realization that you have different perspectives on this that are meant to complement and not conflict with one another. Right? But see, if we, if we try to dwell with them men without this understanding, it's going to create issues. And notice what it's going to lead to. In order that no satanic inroads be made into your prayers. I have tremendous respect for men and, and women now that served our country in the military. Brother Ed served in World War II. I don't know of any other World War II veterans we have. There's part of our church now. But. but one of the worst things that can happen on the battlefield is for the enemy to get an inroad into the communication. See, we think, well, what's the big deal here? <laughs> That's huge. That is huge. If the enemy gets inroad into the communication with headquarters... Well, that's a real problem, right? Notice how, in this case, did the enemy get inroads into these areas, right? By strife and conflict that has arisen in the home based on a lack of understanding that has now created a, a place for the enemy that he should never have been given or allowed to have in the first place. Amen? That was kind of weak, but I'm going to just keep going by faith. All right. Let me finish right here. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The point that we've made among others this morning is the devil only has power over you if you give him place in your life. Well, that can sound like a, a good point in the sermon, but does the Bible support it? I believe it does, and this is one of the key verses that support that. Submit yourself to God, 
resist the devil and the devil will flee from you. If you don't give him any place, but instead submit yourself to God and then resist him. So many in the body of Christ today want the devil to be under them, but they at the same time do not want to be under God. That's what this means, to submit to God. Submit to God means to place yourself under Him. I don't know of anybody that doesn't want the devil to be off their back and under their feet. Come on now. Even people who don't believe in God, it's like, man, give me a break already in life. You know, get this devil off my back from dominating me and get him under my feet, me dominating him. That's where he's supposed to be, by the way. He's supposed to be under your feet, not on your back, right? And notice this verse tells us exactly how to get him under your feet and running from you instead of you being chased by and running from him. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And let me just, again, it, it's very simple verse, but it needs to go in that order. In other words, you've got to submit to God before you can effectively resist the devil. If you're not in submission to God, you can try to resist the devil all you want to, but he will not flee from you. He will instead laugh at you. The devil runs from those who are submitted to God and resist him. I've said it this way for years. Father's been trying your entire life to get you under who and what you're supposed to be under so he can put you over who and what you're supposed to be over. The devil knows if you won't do what God says, he doesn't have to do what you say. Kind of getting this right down to the nitty-gritty now, aren't we? Right? The devil knows if you won't do what God says, he doesn't have to do what you say. See, submitting yourself to God is doing what God says. That's, that's, that's putting yourself practically under God. When you're under God, that puts the devil under you. you still got to resist him, but if you've submitted yourself to God, then you resist the devil, the devil will flee from you. If you don't submit yourself to God, if you're not doing what God says, the devil's not going to do what you say. You can bind and rebuke stray cats all you want, but they'll keep coming back as long as you put milk on your doorstep. And I think that's where a lot of folks are in the body of Christ today. Do you see how silly it is for us to bind and rebuke the devil with one hand while giving him place with the other? Our words... Attitudes and actions create an environment. You ever walked into a room where, like, you didn't hear nothing, you didn't see nothing, but you walked into a room and you said, oh my goodness, somebody's been arguing up in here. What's the saying? So thick you could cut it with a knife? Come on now, think about that. Right? It's because our words, our attitudes... Our actions create an environment. And it's an environment that will either attract heaven 
By heaven I mean our Father, the Holy Spirit, His holy angels, and repel hell, the devil and demons, or our words, attitudes, and actions will attract devils and demons and repel. Remember, He resists the proud and repel heaven. Am I right about this? Jesus referred to Satan as Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. I can walk out to my smoker to put some barbecue on, on there, and, and um, as far as I'm concerned, there won't be a fly on planet Earth until I start peeling that foil back. And now they're attracted, see, they're drawn to that. And in the same way, there are words, there are attitudes, not just actions. See, we want to just say, well, it's what we do. No, no, it's not just what we do. What we say, the attitudes that we have, and the actions, they create an environment. They're either creating an environment that attract devils and demons, or they're creating an environment that make them very, very uncomfortable. Not, it doesn't mean they're not going to come. They're going to come. But when they come, may they not just find the house swept clean, but may they find the house so full of life and light and joy and peace and the Word of God and faith and hope and love that they just cruise on, on past your house. Because what's going on inside of you is not anything those devils and demons want to be around for very long. Amen. Singers and musicians, would you come please? The Bible says in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in His name, He's there in the midst of them. In Psalm 22, 3, the Bible says that where people are worshiping and praising Him, that He comes and He dwells, He inhabits the praises of His people. So, again, praise involves what? Words, it involves an attitude of the heart, and it involves action. Amen. But notice, the the words of our praise, the attitude of our heart in praise, the action of praising the Lord. The Bible says it creates an environment that welcomes, that invites the presence of God to come and dwell among His people. So do you see again? So what am I saying this morning as we conclude this Mother's Day 2019 sermon? Amen. <laughs> praise God. This is kind of more like a Father's Day sermon just with moms put in there instead of dads, isn't it? So, isn't it amazing? We always preach the moms right into the pearly gates and dads are just, you know, you need to straighten up, guys. You need to do better, guys. But anyway, moms, dads, moms, let's make sure we're the gatekeeper of our house. Let's make sure that we're doing everything we can by what we say, the attitudes of our heart, and the things that we do to create an environment that makes the devil very, very uncomfortable where he has no place, no claim, no power. And at the same time, an environment where the Holy Spirit and his presence, the very presence of God is not only there, but is sensed in a tangible way. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. Father, we thank you today. 
for your great love for us. We thank you, Father, today for the wisdom that you have given to us in your word. And Father, I just, as I've been praying, I'm continuing to pray, Father, that if there's areas in our lives where we have given place, something that we've allowed into our lives, into our heart, into our mind, into our family, into our home, into our marriage, into our bank account, something that we've allowed in there that didn't come from you. It came from, it came from the devil. It's, it's, it originated with him. So we've given place. He now has something to lay claim to. Father, show us that. And as the word says, help us to put it away from us. To get it out of our lives. To get it away from us. To separate ourselves from those things. Words, attitudes, and actions. Father, that invite and welcome you I'll make it very, very uncomfortable for the enemy. Father, thank you this morning for the moms that are in this room, the moms of heritage, Lord. Thank you, Father, for moms that are represented by, by children in this room, Lord, some of which are already in heaven. But Father, we thank you for them. We thank you for their legacy of faith. Thank you, Father, for our guests this morning, our, our moms who are visiting. Lord, thank you for the blessing that they are to their families and to their home church, Lord. Father, because of the heart of a mother, a beautiful thing that you created, yet, Lord, it's, it's more sensitive, it's more easily wounded. And I pray, Father, this morning, that you would heal and restore hearts of moms in this room who've been, who've been wounded. Maybe they've been wounded by their children. Maybe they've been wounded, Father, by their husbands. Maybe they've been wounded, Lord, by other situations. Yet, Father, the cause is not as significant as the healing, Lord, today. Father, thank you for the wisdom that we all have access to. You said that if we lack wisdom to ask and you would give it. So Father, may these moms, may all of us, but specifically Lord, as we pray over the moms this morning, may they make a pursuit of your wisdom for their lives and for their families, Father, to be a key pursuit, a key prayer request, Lord, in their lives. And we thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's sing this together before we're dismissed. As always, these altars are open. If you'd like to come, we'd be happy to pray with you this morning. But